This morning I preach to you the Word of God as we read it in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, continuing the series on 1 Timothy. That's page 991. First Timothy, chapter 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Beloved congregation, with your Bible still open, you can see from chapter 1, be reminded that Paul wrote this to Timothy, his son, who was in Ephesus at that time. And besides warning against false teachers, as you see in chapter 1, if you you turn to chapter 3, verses 14 to 16, you can see that the purpose of this letter is to teach the church how we ought to behave as the household of God, in the church of the living God, a pillar of, and buttress of the truth. That's verse 15. So that means all the upcoming instruction about prayers, men, women, office bearers, preaching and teaching will deal with the church of Jesus Christ in her worship, dealing with what it looks like when the Holy Spirit lives in the hearts of believers. And in our text Then, today, Paul deals first of all with the vision of the church, the vision that the church has as as it expresses itself in her prayers. You can see what you believe, you can see what your vision is by the way that you pray. And it's good to regularly ask, who do I pray for? And how do I pray for them? Paul has already shown in chapter 1 that poor doctrine leads to a selfish vanity and useless speculation that has little to do with the gospel that, and it only leads people to withdraw into themselves like turtles into their own shell. And in order that the church might not lose their vision, Paul urges them to open their eyes to the world around them. Like like a woman opening the curtains and looking out the window of her house to the world outside of her. You see, when the triune God shines in your life, 
And you know the truth of the grace of God to you in Jesus Christ, you will never be sectarian again. No, you will want everyone to know the truth that you know, to experience the grace that you experience, and to live in the salvation that is in your mediator, Jesus Christ, which he obtained for you when he paid the ransom for your life. And it is in this context that the Holy Spirit tells us to pray. I preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ, that as faithful subjects of our eternal King and citizens of his universal kingdom, we can pray for all men, knowing that God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You see that, verse 4. We see then that God urges us to desire the same thing that he does in our prayers. You can see that God opens the way to salvation in the one mediator, especially verses 5 and 6, and that he announces that he is our Savior through the church's mission. We see that especially in verse 7. Chapter 1, verse 5 says that everything we do must issue from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. And with these things, we know from chapter 1, verse 15, that the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul, the chief of sinners, was called at the command of Christ for the purpose of announcing this gospel. You see that in verse 16? So that Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. In this context, Paul is clear that if we understand this, then first of all, you must pray for the advance of the kingdom of God. First of all, points to the importance of this task of praying. God does not want us to underestimate the power of prayer. Prayer is extending the, the ramp or, or the ladder to the heavens or the, the hand, the receiving hand to the heavens in order to receive the blessings from our covenant Father that he has planned and that he wants to pour out on all who ask in Jesus' name. And sometimes we are surprised by the power of prayer in granting us what we need at the exact time when, when we say the prayer. We all have our, our little stories, things that are coming to your mind even as I say this. But then we, when we realize how many times God tells us, just ask, ask in my name. Pray continually, already in the Old Testament in the Psalms. We realize that we shouldn't be surprised at the power of prayer. 
The Lord Jesus said that if we have faith, we can move mountains. Now look at your week, brothers and sisters, do you believe? You show that you believe these, these words. Can you say that your week was, was filled with, with prayer first of all? Constant prayer is, is a sign of our constant dependence and trust in our Heavenly Father. And Paul emphasizes the importance of prayer. He uses several different words for prayer. Supplications, those are particular requests. Prayers is just a general word for speaking with God. He mentions intercessions, request for God on behalf of somebody. And the meaning of thanksgiving, the, the last word that Paul uses, it's, it's very clear. All these words point to different kinds of prayers that can be incorporated into our prayer lives. And the key is, that it is all done as a priority in our life, first of all. You can forget a lot of things when we leave here, but brothers and sisters, don't forget the first of all. And then he tells us to pray for all people. He's urging the church, he's urging us to, to lift up our eyes away from our own wants, our own needs, and our own desires, to, to look outside to the world around. Make requests to God for them. Bring them before the Lord in prayer. Intercede on behalf of them as you cry out to God to, to work powerfully in their hearts. Thank the Lord for all people. Do you thank the Lord for all people? Paul's attitude and his instruction toward the church becomes even more surprising when we see that he especially mentions all different kinds of authority. Kings and all who are in high positions. God who calls the Persian king Cyrus in the Old Testament his shepherd and his anointed one. He urges the church to pray for those whom he has appointed in positions of authority over us. Do you think that you can ignore this instruction because your government is so ignorant of the Christian faith? Does it honor God if we are known as the people who dishonor and sneer at the government? Can we justify this type of attitude in light of our text today? They say that Nero, you know Nero? He was that famous man who hated and killed so many Christians. They say that Nero, that famous Christian hater, was one of the kings at that time when this was written. There are many times when dictators and governments have been especially cruel to the church. And then we look at our text in light of this. We can read it clearly. God calls us to offer up requests, prayers, 
intercessions, and thanksgiving for all people, including all levels of government. It's important to remember on this Canada Canada Day long weekend that God desires all people to be saved. He extends his sincere call to faith in Jesus Christ, even to leaders. Yes, even leaders who forget that Alberta is part of Canada. So what do we pray for then? Besides giving thanks and interceding for them, Paul says, you can look at it right there in in your text. He says that we ought to ask God for a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. He says this in the context of calling us to be outward focused and not just focused on our own comforts. Since it's very rare for a government to be Christian, the church will rarely embrace their ideology or the policies that reach far into the realm of our God-given Christian calling as parents and ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And since we will never deny the truth of the gospel or the divine order that God has established in creation, the church will always remain countercultural. And in this context, we pray that we will be able to remain countercultural with the freedom to worship God as his creatures. We pray for a quiet and peaceful life, which is something that very few Christians in the world can speak of today. We pray that we may have freedom to be God's church, godly in our walk and talk, and to be spared from the indignities of persecution and abuse. And we pray these things not only because we desire to use our minds and our our souls and our bodies for the glory of God without being hindered by persecution, but also because we know that those who are walking in darkness, they need to see the light. They need to see the church of Jesus Christ shining in the darkness. And they can only do this through the church which preaches and teaches the one way to salvation in Jesus Christ. God opens the way to salvation in the one mediator, especially in times of opposition and persecution, we as Christians have a tendency to become more silent and inward focused. It's not nice to be humiliated in the public sphere. It's so much easier to serve God inwardly and privately. Sometimes we say, I just want a quiet and a a peaceful life. Don't bother me and I won't bother you. Having been told not to sneer, we may be tempted to go completely to the other side and heed the advice of our present governing authorities where they tell us, let the people make their own decisions and choices, support them, kind of like our prime minister did as he marched along at the gay pride movement, even though he is not gay. 
Don't impose our particular faith and views on them and buckle down for the storm. Very typical, common advice that you hear and you read, you see assumed by many people today. And any time that we, we speak the truth, which is not only logically sound, but also full of, of comfort and, and joy and love and, and hope, well, we're, we're just mocked. We're labeled. So we ask, why bother? And sometimes people even use this text to justify a, a laissez-faire attitude. God desires all people to be saved, so that must mean there are many ways to him, doesn't it? Who am I to judge another religion? Paul's instruction is important for the inward-focused church. Again, the Holy Spirit reveals him in verse 3 as God our Savior. He already did that in verse 1 of chapter 1. The Holy Spirit reveals God as our Savior because it is God's nature to reach out and save those who are far from him. The doctrine of God's eternal election of a definite number of persons, which is so clearly revealed in Ephesians, cannot be used as a reason to stop reaching out and caring for all men. Although it is true that God knows those who are his, it is also true that we don't. Paul reveals to the church that God himself sent him, that's the meaning of the word apostle, to be a herald or a preacher that announced the good news even to the Gentiles. And Paul had to assure the church that they had read that right, that he was telling the truth and not lying because it seems so strange to tell Gentiles about the holy God. Throw the, the pearls to the swine. He says, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. Yes, it's true that Gentiles worshipped many gods. Yes, it's true that they had idols. It's true that they don't have a family line registered in the book of Chronicles. It's true that we don't have all these things. So why would Paul waste his time on them? Why would he waste his time on us? Well, we know the beautiful answer. Because God desires that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. In Romans 10 verse 12, Paul says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Today we rejoice in God's mercy to Gentiles. And it also means that we can't decide beforehand who needs to hear the truth and who doesn't. There's no way to be election specific in our outreach and evangelism as if we can only preach to those whom we know will be saved. Jesus compares the preaching of the gospel to the farmer sowing his seed on all sorts of ground. He just threw it out there. 
And the Holy Spirit commands us to shine in this world with the full understanding that God earnestly calls all men to repentance. And he desires all kinds of, of men and women to be saved. No one can be prejudged as, as too wicked to be preached to. Not even Paul. Think about the people you met. Maybe you've written off some people. The church comes to the world with a most gracious message of a loving Father who extends his open arms to all who come to him in humility and repentance. There are no preconditions. We read, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And whoever believes in the Son of God will not perish, but have eternal life. Paul's instruction is also important for those who are afraid to claim that there is only one truth. Those who have swallowed the idea that truth is relative. The Holy Spirit makes a very clear connection between being saved and knowing the truth. That means that although God urges us to pray for all people, to, to be generous in throwing the seed on all sorts of soil, He desires that all people be saved. He also reveals there is only one way to be with Him, one way to receive the benefits why would we pray for others if there were many ways to God? The only way we can know that know God is through the truth that He has revealed to us in the Holy Scriptures. What is the truth that God wants all people to know? We read that in verses 5 and 6. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at its proper time. There is one God. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He made all things. He is, he is holy and holy, separated from all created things. He is the holy, sovereign, almighty creator who has revealed himself to us in his word. Men and women were made by the one God, but rather than live in righteousness according to the commandments, as you read in Romans 10 verse 5, they have rebelled against him so that they are incapable of, of any good, deserving of God's wrath and the punishment of eternal condemnation. This is the real picture that we believe not just some words, not just some things we, we memorized. One God and all men as sinners before him. It's in this context that the word that is near you, Romans 10 verse 8, is, is a wonderful blessing. Brothers, see the, the, brothers and sisters, see the light shining. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. God sent his only son who was fully God to take on human nature as the man, Christ Jesus. 
The Son placed himself between the holy God and sinful men as the only mediator, replacing all other ways for man to try to, to get up to God based on their own works. He paid the price for our lives by satisfying his divine Father's demands for justice. Jesus Christ gave himself as a ransom for all who believe in him. He became the sin offering and the sacrifice. He opened the way for everyone who believes in him so that we can have access to heavenly glory. Do you see how, how heaven and earth are come together in the Son, Jesus Christ? And here we are on the earth and we know the one mediator. Only the Lord Jesus could pay the price. Only Christ can be our mediator. The testimony was given at the proper time. Originally in the Old Testament, in the shadows and the ceremonies of the law, they were anticipating his arrival. Then in the proper time, Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And after his victorious ascension, we read in 1 Timothy 3, verse 16, he was proclaimed among the nations. God announces our Savior through the church's mission. Part of the testimony given in its proper time was done through the church after Christ's ascension. We read that in verse 7. Paul says, For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. Since there is only one way to salvation through Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, thus serves as the only mediator between God and every person on earth, on all men, all people. And God wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We can see clearly that mission is necessary, that mission is precise, that mission preaching must be doctrinally sound work that is all set free from the sticky web of human speculation. The mission of the church is based on the presupposition that we have an exclusive, a unique message that no one can hear anywhere else and from any other source. And the fact that there are specifically reformed missions is based on the fact that we know that it is not enough to just believe in God to believe in the payment of sins through sacrifices and in some vague idea of a mediator or a savior. We know that, otherwise Jesus and the apostles would not have preached that Jesus Christ is the only savior to the Jews. The Jews had sacrifice, they believed in God, they believed in a way to God, some type of mediation. Paul was an apostle and a Gentile, not only to the Jew, but also to the Greek. Otherwise, Jesus and the apostles would not have insisted that the preaching be salvation by grace alone, 
and not by works. Look at the letter of Galatians. All mission is based on the fact that there is one specific truth about God in whom there is no contradictions. There is one mediator. So why do people walk away from that? Because it's offensive. I may be offending someone right now by reading this passage from 1 Timothy. But as soon as we lose the offense of the gospel, as soon as we try to fit it into cultural norms and expectations, missions will die. We will be unfaithful to God in that calling. In the mid-1900s, liberal Christianity decided in its world councils of missions that the church should no longer try to convert people. They believed that Christianity was nothing more than Western philosophy. And they considered true mission work nothing more than a bunch of colonizing bigots imposing their culture on another. And so they urged the churches, you can read the documents, they urged the churches to, to meet people where they were and to find the good in, in every religion. And you know what? Although it is 2017, we are still recovering from this frontal attack against preaching and against mission where the church used to use almost all the resources to send an increasing number of men out. Now they send one or two and they are satisfied. We don't want to overdo it, right? What makes us think that we are the only ones who know the truth? And brothers and sisters, we need to examine ourselves and our priorities. Do we believe that there is only one mediator between God and men? Do we care about those who are walking in darkness? Are we praying all kinds of prayers in a, in a superficial way? Or do we actually desire what God desires? That all people be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Why is there such a shortage of ministers and missionaries today? Men, what are your priorities? I urge you to become preachers of the gospel in these last days. Let us be deliberate. Let us be urgent. Let us be compassionate as we, as we throw the seed of the gospel with all generosity to those who are outside the church. Paul did this. We read in verse 7, in faith and truth. In faith, because it was very dangerous to tell people to believe in the Son of God. And we are only motivated by our certainty that the preaching of our God, who revealed himself in scriptures, that that's his will for us. In truth, because the apostle and preacher believed without a doubt that there is only one God, one mediator, one way to be saved. It makes us ask the question, do we want all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? 
picture of moving the curtains aside and looking out the window. God calls us to manifest his love to the world, to make his receiving arms visible to the world. We can share the gospel with, with everyone we meet in the bold confidence that God wants all men to be saved, to have a knowledge of the truth. But first of all, before you get all involved in sending men and raising funds, going to study, first of all, we will get down on our knees and we'll pray. While we thank God for the civil leaders he has placed over us, we request that we may have wisdom as we intercede for them before the Father that they may know the one mediator, Jesus Christ. That the light may shine in the darkness we ask God to grant us peaceful and quiet lives so that we can live in a godly and a dignified way so that we can look beyond mere surviving and express our compassion for the world walking in darkness. May God grant us many opportunities to look out the window, to share the truth of the one God and the one mediator between God and all men without discrimination, that God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, that there is a way, a way that is open to God's glory through his only son, the one and only mediator, the man, Christ Jesus. Amen.